We're going to be in Genesis 32. So get your Bibles out. And we're going to, we're going to read a chunk of that. But we, uh, we left off last week, uh, with Jacob and Uncle Laban. And they, they, Jacob had, had, uh, taken off and Jacob crossed the Jordan River. He has crossed over from Syria into northern Jordan to get away from Laban. Laban catches up with him. They build rocks saying, if you stay on your side of the world, I'll stay on my side of the world and we won't kill each other. That's how that story ends. And it looks like Jacob is in good shape because God said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to go back into Israel. You'll go back down to the promised land. And, you know, the Messiah is going to keep coming through your line. And then this story happens. Uh, remember, he had a little disagreement with his twin brother Esau. He stole his birthright. You remember that story? He stole Esau's birthright. And mommy protected Jacob. And then Jacob spent 20 years up with Uncle Laban. So they haven't seen each other for 20 years. And the last thing that Jacob heard was Esau said, I'm going to kill you. So he goes from Laban wanting to kill him to Esau going to kill him. And he's got really nowhere to go except God. And that's where we'll pick up the story. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we shall tackle this story. Okay. Oh, let me just say hello to everybody online. I'm so glad you're out there. My apologies. I'm glad you're there to land. We're happy you're watching. Um, just say hi to everybody, would you? Just, yeah. All right. We're glad you're there. All right. All right. Here we go. So Jacob also went on his way, uh, from Laban and the angels of God met him. He runs into angels. Jacob saw them and he said, this is surely the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim, which means the place of God. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir. Because uh, Esau lives in Edom, which is Jordan today. Edom means red. Esau means red. Here we go. So in the country of Edom, he instructed them, this is what you're to say to my master Esau. Interesting phrase there. Your servant, Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Not looking good, Jacob. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. The flocks, the herds, and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group may get away. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord God, who said to me, go back to your country. God, you're the one who told me to go back. Go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come And attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. 
He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Now, this is interesting that he can tell the difference between male and female. Just letting you know. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls. And 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you and asks, To whom do you belong? And where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead later. When I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. You can be seated. All right. Now, there's not a one of us that hasn't dealt with some kind of a rift between people, between somebody in our lives. And here's my statement, all right? All of us, at some point, have to face the past. All of us have to give healing and forgiveness, and we have to receive healing And forgiveness. Every one of us, whether we're talking about your marriage, a spouse, an ex spouse, an ex relationship, a boss, a friend, a co worker, a child, a grandchild, your mother, your father, wherever you want to go, everybody has experienced some kind of a rift. Now, in this story, uh, Esau's angry at Jacob, but let's be honest, Esau made the deal. It's not like Jacob stole his birthright. Because, remember, Isaac's going to bless Jacob and then there's nothing left for Esau. Uh, but Esau came in and said, I'm going to starve to death. And Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright. Esau made the deal. Jacob didn't. Jacob just said, yeah, I'll make you the deal. Here's the soup. You give me your birthright. So Esau made the deal himself. But we would all agree that Esau's probably got a reason to be angry. And Jacob agrees that Esau has every reason to be angry. Now we can go back because the first rift starts at the beginning of this book. The first rifts between God and Adam. Now notice very carefully in that story. Because you know full well that Eve is the one that first took the fruit. And then she had some and gave it to Adam. But you will not find Eve ever excoriated in scripture. It's always Adam. Adam is the one that God goes after at the beginning. Adam is the one in the New Testament. Read the book of Romans chapter 5. Paul goes after Adam, or, well, Paul does too. But God goes after Adam because God gave his word to Adam. Adam was responsible for Eve. Adam was responsible to make sure she knew God's word. It's like what God did for us as the church. God has given us his word. All right, And we are responsible for that word. Now, people, you'd think people would learn, but they don't. And this is my problem, and I know it's probably just my problem, but I'm going to share my problem because this is what they call preaching. And 
I've been pounding and pounding and pounding. I've been talking about pro-life for 30 years and, and about what the church has got to speak up, step up, act up. We've got to do what we got to do to rescue children, to help, help parents, to help adoption. That's what the church does. Now we've got this huge story in front of us that, that Tomoka has been involved with. I don't know. We probably go back 10 years working with Rafa House and helping to end sex slavery and trying to get people to go see this movie. And I just don't feel like I'm getting through to people. And I can only do so much online because I try not to, that's just not the place. But here, I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the truth, right? So a friend of mine, a guy who's in the ministry, and a guy who I mentored, mentored, posted this on Facebook. Now, he won't be listening, so it's okay. But he should have been smarter than to post this. But this is my problem with the church today. All right, this is what he writes. He said, first of all, I I finally went to see the movie, The Sound of Freedom. Okay, good for you, dude. All right. He said, the screenplay was beautifully written. Not a whole lot of cringe moments. Secondly, Jim Caviezel reminds us that he is a talented and overlooked actor. Third, the cinematography was very well done and the sound editing excellent. And the direction of Alejandro Montevideo was expertly done. I hope they make more films. It's a friend of mine. There's a box out there in the lobby. We got nine different ministries you can volunteer. Some local, some in the United States, some in America. We made the paper. If you saw the Ormond Observer, I'm hoping somebody wakes up. But there's a box out there to put money in and to make monthly commitments. See, it's real easy to say, oh, this is a terrible thing. I'm against it. He didn't even have the guts to say I'm against it. He gives me a movie critique. That's the problem with the church today. There's too much watching and there's too much critiquing and not nearly enough action. And that's what the church of Jesus is supposed to do. We're supposed to act. All right, since I went crazy for a minute, you want a joke? All right, all right. So, so how many of you, all right, because I know this is a real problem and I have friends that are in the business. I'm not picking on you, but how many of you have had problems with your homeowner's insurance? Okay. I listen, I can help you. If you need help, you call me, text me. I'm your guy. I'll help you connect you to the right people uh, who can help you. Uh, but you know, you fill out all these forms. I got rejected by a couple of companies. They wanted to raise my rates, this and that. We went back and forth with all kinds of stuff. And finally I said, look, I may go camping in my backyard. I said, what happens if somebody steals my tent? Do you know what they told me? They said, I will not be covered. (laughs) Take that to your favorite insurance agent and uh, do what you want with that. So the rift begins with Adam and God. And that's where you have to start the, the, the process of healing the rift is if you've not accepted Jesus Christ, 
That's where it's got to start. And you're going to see uh, one of the last songs. You're going to see our baptism video from last month at the at the beach. This is Made New Weekend, 6 o'clock at Tom Rennick tomorrow. Uh, you can come up front. People will be here online, I've decided. But you've got to start by repenting of your sins, accepting Jesus Christ, getting right with him to repair the rift. Then we can go and begin to deal with all the other rifts that are happening in our lives. And everyone, there's nobody gets off on this one. You can be the most wonderful person in the world, but somebody's mad at you. Or somebody's done you wrong. It doesn't matter. The stories are endless. And they will always be endless because all God has to work with is what? Broken people. Three weeks we've talked about dysfunctional families and we've admitted that we're all dysfunctional. We all need help. Uh, we've started a new ministry. It's out there in room three. If you go out and turn right, uh, we have a room right there. Anybody who needs, you need godly counsel. Whether it's one time or you need to set up counseling, uh, you go in there. There'll be people in there to help you. And I will tell you this, if this is extra motivation, it's the coolest room in the entire building. So you can go in there and uh, and just cool off and, and get ministered to. Um, but Colossians, Paul said this in chapter 3. Paul said, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. But look at the last line. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Am I the only one struggling here? Probably not. There's a rift. Jacob and Esau have every reason for a rift. But even more so, Jacob has a very rational fear. Now... A lot of us have irrational fears. They say that 95% of what you and I are afraid of never happens. It never probably was going to happen. That's just how irrational our thinking is. But Jacob has every reason here to be concerned. Because the last time he talked with Esau 20 years ago, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. Daddy gave you the blessing. I get nothing. He has every reason to believe that not only will Esau come back and kill him, but his biggest concern is what? He's going to kill my wives. He's going to kill my children. And the children are the children of the promise. One of those kids is going to be the child of the promise that Jesus is going to come through. And Jacob's like, wait a minute, God, you're the one that told me to come back. And this is crazy. And so he divides, divides his group up. And, and he, again, he humbles himself. One of the few times you'll see Jacob do this. Jacob said, Esau's my master and I'm the servant. And Lord, I'm your servant. Again, the guy who's a deceiver and a liar, all of a sudden, when the fear comes upon him. And it says, he had great fear. And we'll talk about next week. We're going to talk about Jacob's who's been all night praying with God. We'll get to that next week. But Jacob is... Very rationally believing that he's going to be killed. And he's trying to just save his wife and his kids. And then he concocts this plan to send all of these animals over there. Maybe that will help Esau work through this. Now David wrote these words. And it's about David, but it's also about Jesus. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Rational fear. David had to go through that valley when his own son was trying to kill him and steal the throne of Israel. Jesus comes the other direction across that same valley on his way to the cross. 
And says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Every one of us is going through something, some kind of a valley, some kind of a darkness, some kind of a rift that's going on in your relationship, in your family, in your own life, whatever it looks like. But the ultimate picture here is the reconciliation that takes place. Now, the one guy in the story that we thought we couldn't trust is the only one who's godly in the whole story. Jacob's a liar. Rachel's a liar. Laban's a liar. The only one that we would be suspect of is Esau, and Esau's the one that wins the day. Esau comes with his 400 men. You can read this in the next chapter. And Esau meets with Jacob, and he says, hey, bro, God has blessed me. Over the last 20 years, look at what God's done for me. He said, I'm not mad at you anymore. He said, God's been good to me, too. Let's put the past in the past. See, Jacob wasn't thinking that way. Although Jacob did at least try to apologize. And you're thinking, wow, what if they don't apologize? What if nobody sends me all those sheep? How am I to forgive the way Jesus forgave me? Oh, man. So many scriptures would be better had I written them because I wouldn't have written them that way. But when the Holy Spirit writes them, the Holy Spirit writes them where they cut right to us. No, no place to hide. Okay, I'll forgive, but I'm still going to... No, you have to forgive how? The way Jesus did. Oh, great. And how did Jesus forgive me? Completely. Unconditional. We almost, almost like defeated. Oh, dang it, God forgave me completely. Because now I have to forgive somebody else. That's what Christianity is. That's why it's hard. That's why C.S. Lewis said, if you're looking for an easy religion, Christianity would be the wrong one. He's exactly right. So how does this reconciliation take place? Esau said, look, enough's enough. 20 years, bro, we've been separated. 20, they're twins. For 20 years, we haven't talked to each other. And God's blessed me just like God's blessed you. And let's put the past behind us. Very interesting, different from Jacob and Laban where we're building a rock pile and saying, you cross the line, I'll kill you. Esau said, look, keep, keep your animals, man. I'm good. God's been doing a work in me at the same time he's been working in you. The minor prophet Hosea says, come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our picture behind me is a guy you've probably never heard his name. This is, this is Bob Ebling. Bob is an interesting man. Uh, for 30 years, nobody knew his name because Bob didn't want anybody to know his name. On the night of January 28, 1986, Bob stayed up all night pleading with people. Anybody know January 28, 1986? Bob was one of the engineers who pleaded with NASA. He said, don't launch the Challenger. It'll blow up. The O-rings will not hold in this temperature. He begged everybody at NASA, fought all night long. And then he sat down in the morning and reluctantly watched the launch. Watched the Challenger blow up in front of him. 
30 years, he took the blame. Even though he was the one sounding the alarm. He didn't want anybody to even know his name. On the 30th anniversary, he finally came out and said, listen, I'm the guy. I tried. But he said, I was the one responsible, but nobody would listen to me. My guess is you've not got that kind of blood on your hands. You've not got that kind of pain in your life, but you've got something similar. You've got something that you could have stepped in and stopped or something you tried to stop and weren't able to or something that you wish you would have stepped into. Story, the stories can go pretty much any way you want to go. But how does this reconciliation finally come together? When you and I get to the point where we say, truly, enough's enough. When you talk to people who are in feuds, and believe me, I've been there. If you talk to people after a while, nobody even remembers what started it. Or if they do remember, they'll tell you and they'll say, that sounds really stupid, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. That's kept you apart for 30 years? That's kept you apart for 20 years? Now look, I fully get there are some people in my life that I'm going to forgive that I never want to have Christmas dinner with again. That's okay. That's okay. But if you don't forgive them, they'll keep you in bondage for the rest of your life. So you've got to forgive the way Jesus forgave. He didn't say buy them dinner. He said forgive them. Very different. Very different. Understand the difference. Now I'll tell you one thing that I'm proud of. This is how I'm going to finish. When I played baseball, little league, high school, American Legion College, the one thing that I prided myself on is not to get called out on strikes. I don't know if I ever did. I don't remember. Now, I struck out plenty. Don't get me wrong. But I would swing. Because I figured if it was close enough for the umpire to call me out, I was going to at least get a shot. So I would swing at balls. Sometimes it bounced. Sometimes they'd be over my head. But I never let the umpire call me out. So let me let the game of baseball finish this sermon. Somebody just posted this, and I'm like it. So... When you got two strikes, and a lot of us have got two strikes, we know what that feels like. Move closer to the plate. How about this? Move closer to Jesus in the Word of God. Try to minimize your head movement. Oh, there's an idea. So keep yourself more focused on God's Word and on Jesus and less focused on yourself and on the world. Think outside but react in. Well, that means you got to be looking for the outside part of the plate. But if he does throw it in, you got to be ready quick. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we need to be ready. Whenever he comes, right? We don't know when he's going to come. He specifically says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Breathe and slow the game down. How about this? Turn the world off. That's the only way you can breathe and slow the game down. You've got to turn the TV off, the phone off, all the other craziness off. And you and God get alone and slow down the game. Don't try to do too much. It's a good thing because without Jesus, we wouldn't go to heaven. Jesus paid the price. He did it all, right? All we do is accept what Jesus did. That's what repentance and baptism and following Jesus is all about. And then ultimately... Don't leave it up to the umpire. 
I'm amazed at how many people step into eternity and don't know. Well, I hope. Why? Where's your hope? Well, I was a decent person. I wasn't Charles Manson. I hope I go to heaven. Listen, if you're sitting here listening to this sermon, nobody should ever step into eternity that way. You need to step into eternity and know, man, I, I come in under the blood of Jesus. I'm the servant. He's the master. I come in because of the blood that was shed, and I've accepted him, and I am here today because of what Jesus did for me. Then you can step in with confidence. But you don't want to stand before God and leave it up to him and say, well, I don't know. Just be up to God what he wants to do. Wouldn't you like to go to stand before God with confidence? Don't leave it up to the umpire.